I am now live. So welcome everybody to Power to Speak's live stream uh, of speaking about speaking. So this is half an hour of me as a coach speaker speaking to another speaker coach or speaker and it's all about giving you guys out there that are listening words of advice from from our many many years of experience so so welcome and happy new year as this is the first one back of 2023 and today's speaker i'm really excited to introduce to you is ricky arundel and ricky is a speaker and a storytelling expert and also a gender inclusion speaker. And Ricky, back in 1999, founded the Professional Speaking Association too. So lots and lots of advice to come from, from, from Ricky. So I will introduce her to you all right now. So Ricky, I'm gonna swap your screens so that I can do that. Welcome. Uh, lovely to have you here. here. So thank you Good very much for being my guest today. Pleasure. So just to kick off, Ricky, I mean, obviously, the, if uh, if you guys are out there listening and you have any questions for myself or Ricky, then please just put them in the comments and I, I will endeavour to get through them. But just to kick off, Ricky, tell us a little bit about your experience of speaking and how you came to to be doing what you're doing now. Oh, I think like most people, I never set out to become a speaker. I didn't even know there was such a thing, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, I I failed all my A-levels at college, and uh, I came back and persuaded my dad to let me do a, another year. And uh, I got chatting to a friend of mine who persuaded me that I ought to get involved with the drama play, uh, you know, the college play. And they always did the GCE, GCE then, not GCSE. Uh, they always did the Shakespeare play because that guaranteed a, a one week, you know, packed house because everybody wanted to see that play. Um, and they were doing Julius Caesar. And so um, so obviously before I changed gender. And so I it, my friend had already got the part of Cassius. Uh, another guy had already got um, the part of Brutus. So there was only one big part left. And that was the part of Mark Antony. I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, <laughs> let's not do it by heart. Let's do the big part. So I learned the whole friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears speech right, right the way through. And I went in and just kicked off and blasted it. Um, I thought I was pretty good. Nobody else was prepared to compete with me. So I got the part. But the director came up to me and said, um, actually, you're not very good. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, and I think uh, you need to do some of the drama course. Uh, I said, oh, right. So I checked the drama course and it turned out that all but one of the of the classes for the drama class fitted in with my free periods. So I said, oh, right, that's it. And I did grade eight uh, Royal Schools of Music speech and drama. Uh, and I had such a good time. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I had a brilliant time doing uh, doing Anthony. And, uh, and and that was it. I'd sort of got that and shot off after the college finished and did a, uh, a season at Butlins as a red coat. Um, so I was into performance. And uh, and that was I was I was thinking to try and get to drama school. Didn't get through the audition. Um, and somebody said, look, first thing you got to do if you want to get into drama, get a job because most actors are out of work. Get a job first and then start looking for acting. 
uh, and I got a job which ended up being in the insurance industry, and it was quite full on and full time. And they, and that before I knew where I was, I was in a full time job in the insurance industry, and the drama sort of faded away until a few years later, I suddenly ended up training, and all of what I'd been taught suddenly became back, and that was it. I was back, and so I first thing I would recommend to anybody who really wants to be a good speaker, take some drama training. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would recommend that when you said you got into uh, insurance and then the drama, I was thinking that's when you were going to say that's when the drama started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it happens to so many people. You know, I certainly got got waylaid, distracted from drama. Yeah. And I didn't actually go to drama school until I was 28. So. Oh, right. So yeah, it does. Sometimes it it comes around. I think it's there. The performer is kind of there in those of us that love it. It's kind of innate in us, I think. So what then was the transition? Was it because of the storytelling? You you know you you say you're a storytelling expert. So what is it about stories that are important for any speaker, but just in general? I, storytelling. I mean, I got. I didn't really grasp the power of storytelling for quite a long time, um, and I got. Uh, I started. I started doing, um, sp yes, proper speaking, uh, and got myself involved going around the insurance institute, the Institute of Sales and Marketing Manager, because that was the big, back in the seventies and eighties, that was the big sort of circuit, if you like, for speakers in the UK. Um, UK has always been a celebrity market for speakers. So celebrities get to go speak, whether they can or not. It's really appearance money. You know, you meet you know top celebrity uh, who'll just tell you a few stories about you know their uh, life as a footballer, or their life on stage, etc. And um, I, I started getting more in, into telling stories and and listening to speak. I went to started going to to conferences and seeing some of the top speakers. And I loved the stories that they were telling. And I started to realize that, that that was what made that speech entertaining. That was what it made it memorable. Um, and I just locked, dropped into it. Um, and I it wasn't until actually quite recently, I thought, well, where did my storytelling come from? Because I, it was as if it was a natural skill. And then I realized my dad had been a storyteller, not not on stage, not in any performance way. He was the landlord of a pub throughout my whole childhood. And he just told stories, stories about the war, stories about his exploits in India, stories about when he was at, at school, at college. He just was nonstop storytelling. Um, and I realized that I could probably do an entire um, keynote speech just retelling some of my dad's stories uh, and probably have done. And, and I think that's probably what happens is that people become natural storytellers, not because it's in built into us, but because we are used to it. If you are regularly attending theatre, if you're regularly going somewhere where there are storytellers, if your parents uh, uh, tell stories, uh, if you've got uncles and grandparents and that who, who like to tell stories, you will pick it up. Uh, it starts yeah. to become a natural talent, a natural skill. And that's what happened with me. I just started to yeah. develop this skill. And I, I, I realized more and more the reason people booked me 
was because I told entertaining stories. Yeah. Well, I can see that completely because that's where my storytelling came from, my dad. And if my dad might well be out there listening. But yes, it, sitting around the, the table on a Sunday, listening to the stories, you know, the stories yeah. of my family, the stories of work life, everything. And and that really it just for me was completely entertaining. And that's, yeah, that's why I now love to 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 do that myself. So why do you think story is important oh. to uh, to a speaker when you're putting together a talk? There is a book which I highly recommend to anyone. It's called Make It Stick, um, Chip and Dan Heath. Um, I think it's Stanford University, one of the big universities they're at. Uh, it's a very big, you know, top-selling book. Uh, and they've got some work there that's done and some research that was done at Stanford University on storytelling. And I, I, I sometimes can't remember exactly which place this uh, research came from, but one of the stories they tell is that um, they did some research where a bunch of students um, were told to deliver a presentation. One of them was told to deliver entirely using stories. All the rest were encouraged to use facts. Um, at the end of the presentations, the audience were then asked what they remembered. And what was clear from that is that the story presentation had been remembered 22 times more than the factual sto the, uh, stories. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and there's other research has done to support this, which basically says using a story makes the fact you want to give 22 times more memorable. Um, yeah. and, and that's a, the simple fact of it. If you want people to remember what you say, and, I, and I've always I've worked on a, a simple principle. There are three things I want to achieve with a speech. Number one <clears throat> is that I want you to remember my message. Remember what I yeah what I was there for. So if you can't remember what I came to speak about, then um, I'm lost. I might not as well. Yeah, I should might as well not have bothered. And I mean, how many times have you sat in an audience? This is the problem we get as speakers. We have to sit in audiences and listen to the whole program of speakers while we're waiting to go up. Uh, and most of those speeches are utterly and completely forgettable. By the time you reach the end of the coffee break, you've forgotten who the speaker was and what they spoke about and what the message was. So if we can't get that uh, message out there um, and get it remembered, and the only way to make it stick, get it in our head, tell a really good story. I also want people to remember my name. I don't want people to go out there and say, oh, did you hear that great speech by? Oh, God, can't remember who it was now. Anyway, there was a great speech. <laughs> that also isn't going to help me. I want people to, to talk about it. And I want people to take action. And yeah. if you can't remember my story, you can't remember my name, the chances are you're not going to do anything. So, again, one of the things I learned from Doug Stevenson, who's – the big NSA, National Speakers Association, storytelling coach. And he basically teaches everybody, you know, use your story, but have a phrase that pays, a call to action, something at the end of your story that actually makes it not just memorable, but take has a, an action step. Yeah. What do you do about this piece of information? Yeah. Um, 
And these are the sorts of things I learned. Very simple ideas. Um, but it all comes out of story. Yeah, it does. It's what, it's what I bang on about all the time. And uh, Ella Orr, who has joined us, um, <laughs> will know that all too well. So Ella here is saying, great to be able to hear Ricky share such valuable advice about storytelling. Be memorable. Thank you, Ella. So so in, in being memorable then, what what where do you start with when you're putting together a talk in order to be memorable what that you've been there oh gosh i i think when my challenge now is having been around a long time that i that i, I mean you get you've got to get down to what is the message i want to say what what is the if you're going to start to plot out your speech what is the message um and to me, sometimes it's very clear that people haven't done that. Um, and I think often people have got so much content. They've got this huge you know, wealth of knowledge and they try to give it all out. And that's not going to happen. You're never going to get people to remember it, all of that. So you've got to, you know, the key to a brilliant speech is to bring it down to a simple, single message. Um, I I was at a, an NSA convention very early before we set up the PSA. Um, I'd been to this speech and there was a, a an entertainer who used to regularly be booked at the NSA and he was a blind pianist. And his whole trick was that he would sit in the audience and listen to a speech. He would then get up and go to the piano when he would play a piece of music and sing a song that he had just literally written in his head, couldn't do anything else, he was completely blind uh, or profoundly blind, had been all, all, all his life. But he would play a song that encapsulated the message of the, of the speech he'd just heard. Um, anyway, year, the, one particular year, a new president came up and said, look, I don't, I don't want Ken Medema um, doing his thing. And he said, well, we do it every year. He said, yeah, I know. And I don't want that. I want something different this year. But it's, it's become a pattern. It's become rote. And they said, well, we've already booked him. Said, well, OK, we'll get him to do a keynote speech. So they went to Ken. They said, would you do a keynote speech? He said, I've never done a keynote speech in my life. He said, well, you're quite lucky here because we've got some really good speaker coaches. and We will get you the best speaker coaches from the NSA to help you produce a speech. And he produced what I think is probably the best speech I've ever heard in my life. And we're talking now 25 years ago, and I can still see and hear this speech today as if it was literally yesterday. The I'm speech, sorry, just to reiterate, this is the blind pianist doing blind the speech. Blind pianist. Right. So they're now going to get him to be a keynote speaker, and he's never been a keynote speaker. But they... Uh, used his talent and skills and then turned it into a basically full-on, you know, 45-minute keynote speech. The speech was entitled, <clears throat> The Magic Begins When the Speaker Listens. Love it. Beautiful title that encapsulated yeah. the whole message. The first third of his speech, he talked about his life growing up unable to see and how he learned to navigate the world through the sounds he heard instead of through what he saw and how important he felt sound was. 
then he played with some people getting up up on stage, doing some interactive stuff, playing with sound. Then he did his final thing. He said, right, I want a few people to tell me about people who made a big influence in their life and why. People would say, oh, my maths teacher taught me how and got me over a real problem. A bum, 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 bum. He'd play a song that encapsulated the whole story. I just thought, what an amazing speech. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to give me that name and I will I will put his name down because I'd like to go and find that speech. And I'm sure people out there listening uh, will we'll go and go and search that out because we've got we've got a couple of people here asking questions. So we've got Alan, Alan Braithwaite from the lovely Yellow Tuxedo. Um, Oh, he got a he got an A in his drama at GCSE. So yeah, that's pretty that's good. Okay. That's Alan, cool. yeah, yes. Well done, well done. And, <laughs> and Ken Medima, Ken Medima, write that um, down. I have to look at the spelling of that name. But he's he basically he's got some LPs and things out which he's done, which are because he's basically a musician. Yeah, um, but um, absolutely loved. Uh, yeah, what he did I will. Source. I will go and find that. We got Liam here is um, is definitely um, on the musical side of things. So drama yeah. and definitely a musician or, or singer. Thank you for being here, Liam. Brilliant. So in terms of um, of who influenced you, was there a speaker or speech that you've heard that has apart from that one that you've just told us, which is an amazing story? Um, is there is there one that sort of made a difference in your life? Uh, there were quite a few who influenced me um, throughout through yeah throughout my uh, speaking career. Um, I th there was a guy um, uh, his name's beginning to go, disappear at the moment. For it. Uh, no, I've forgotten his surname Norman, and his his surname has gone from me. He was a a big general agent in America, an insurance agent. Um, and he was a really good speaker in terms of content speaker uh, speakers. And uh, uh, he, he was very successful in what he did. And he was a regular speaker within the life insurance uh, industry. So I saw him quite a bit. Um, I also uh, saw Zig Ziglar live quite a few times, even had lunch with him. Wow. Um, at uh, the uh, NSA, and I and I went to a few things when he came out. He he became a more of a Baptist minister at the end of his life, um, but um, he was great in terms of these simple little quotes uh, that he would have. Uh, you can get anything you want in life, just as long as you help enough other people get what they want in life. <laughs> this broad Texan <laughs> voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he he was really good at those little quotes and little quips um, that he filled his speech with, so that people could would go away remembering things yeah. that he said. Um, yeah, no, he's, quite, he was, he's quite a character as well, isn't he? Oh yeah, re real character, very very. I mean, he did his whole flea training circus <clears throat> talk, which was. A, um, I think probably the one the one speaker who had the biggest influence on me um and this is going to come because i i know you'd like me to talk about worst speakers uh, so this will link into that one uh was uh, the reverend dr norman vincent peel sadly i never got to meet him he died um shortly after i joined nsa i did meet his wife uh because she came along as a guest of honor at the nsa 
But um, Norman did this one speech, why positive thinkers get positive results. Uh, he always did the same speech. He delivered the same speech for 40 years. Uh, people said, Norm, why do you keep on delivering the same speech? He said, because that's the one people ask me to deliver. And it was, it, and it was so entertaining and so good. I, I got to the point where I could literally recite it. Um, because it, it, And it was just a brilliant speech, very humorous, uh, very poignant, just really brilliant stories. Again, packed with simple little stories from it, from his life, just from the people. Um, uh, yeah, and stories about people who hadn't been positive and then became positive and such like. So I think he, he, he did a big, big influence um, on my life. Yeah. Do you think telling stories, I mean, lots of people um, come to me and ask if they if they have a talk and it's a, it's about their own stories, it's about their own life. They put together a, a signature talk that, you know, explains what they do and why they're doing what they're doing. But then they go on to do podcast guesting. They step on stages. How do you uh, advise people to keep it fresh? You know, it, if you've seen that that talk so many times that you can almost recite it word for word. But if you're if you're the person doing that talk, how do you how do you get to the point where you're you're not bored with it yourself? <laughs> I, I have never got bored with my own talks, and I, and I think it's interesting if you think about going to a concert to see a, a, you know, a band or singer that you've known for a long time. If you were to go and they said, no, we're not going to do any of the old stuff. They were just going to do a whole bunch of new stuff. You'd be really disappointed. Yeah. You'd think, oh, no, 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 not there. And I, w I was listening to an interview with, um, uh, and again, his name's come from, you know, did tiptoe through the tulips. Um, oh, God. Um, anyway, he said the real key is very simple. He said, you do a song that everybody remembers and they're all up and there. And then you slip into something that's brand new and they're going, oh, what's that? Never heard that before. Uh, and before they get a chance to go, oh, no, I don't want to hear all this. You go back into one that they've all heard lots of times before. Yes. Yeah, so backwards and forwards. So that's what you do is you've got a good speech. You've got your that's stories in there. Things are moving. That's it. Tiny Tim. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was Tim, but I couldn't remember what went with it. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. Uh, so, I mean, I talk about gender issues. I've been talking about that now for 20 years. Um, it's constantly changing. There's something new coming up all the time. There's some new development. There's some new issues. There's some political battles going on. There are some issues with the you know, gender critical feminists. There's uh, issues with, you know, suddenly a, a celebrity will come out when Caitlyn Jenner came out. So all the time I've got something happening that's going to change. So although the, the speech may be largely the same, um, the stories that I put into that are going to change from year to year. Yeah. And it, it yeah. takes time to mould a story. I I, th I think people think, oh, you just write a speech and you go up and deliver it. Oh, God, no. Uh, to get a speech to sound as if it's not a script, so that it sounds as if it's just off the cuff, I'm just thought of it as I'm talking, and that's what I want you to hear. I want you to think that, oh, this is just literally coming off the top, top of my head as I'm going. Um, 
but actually it's not. The ad-libs are rehearsed to perfection. Yeah. <laughs> Every single bit has been said over and over again. If you heard me do one speech and then you heard me a month later, you'd say, that was identical. Every single word was the same. Every you know nuance was the same. Even responses to audience comments were the same. Did the audience even say that? <laughs> or did I just pretend? And you get to the point where you, know, you just learn how to use that yeah. energy right. Yeah. Um, I want it to come across all the time as if it's spontaneous, but actually it's been rehearsed to the point. Yeah, uh, I always I always say uh, memorize to improvise, yes. but don't memorize. Basically, it's yeah. the, the memorization comes from the practice and and being comfortable with the stories that you're telling and knowing that those stories are from you and that you are telling the truth of those stories. And that's, yes. that's that is, so then you can start playing. Then then you are comfortable enough to actually, you know, make it sound as if you know, it's coming off the top of your head, as if you're completely improvising. Yeah. I, I can write hate crime story down and that's 15 minutes. And yeah. it's going to be a 15 minute story about a bunch of kids who started throwing stones at my house and uh, running at my house and how I got the police involved. OK, it, it's a story I've told over and over again. Um, all I got to do is write that down. And I know exactly where I'm going with it. Uh, it's very interactive. I've got lots of drama in it, you know, and potentially you know, hitting somebody with a great big iron pole. There's all sorts of things in it. Yeah. There's very powerful messages in it, but it's a very tightly structured story. But I only need one word. Sometimes yeah. it might just be a diagram. Um, I just write gender bread man. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And I, and I say that with, uh, with the clients that I'm working with about visuals is that's what that visual should be. If you're doing a, a PowerPoint or, you know, something similar, yeah. then, then that visual shouldn't be your, your, your talk. It should be that, that one word, that one image that, that brings forward that story. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think I mean think PowerPoints are interesting. I use a lot of PowerPoint, but some, but the timing with which I bring in a slide or bring a slide in, or, and I often use animations so that things suddenly move. Uh, yeah. And if I've not got that rehearsed perfectly, the move will happen at the wrong time. I need it to happen exactly on a particular word. When I say something, boom, something shifts, and 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 all of a sudden it's funny, <laughs> or it's dramatic. But yeah. if I would just to let the slides go and think, oh, what's the next slide? Oh, yes. It wouldn't be funny. It wouldn't be dramatic. People wouldn't remember it. So um, it's got to be embedded into the story in such a way that, you know, uh, I know exactly which point I'm going to hit that button and it's going to happen. Sometimes I'll have a great big list, um, like the number of names that have now been invented for people who are, not you know, non-binary or transgender there are about 150 of them well if i put yeah. those on four screens and roll them <laughs> over and say look these are all the names you can choose now instead of male or female you can do this and if you can't find one there no problem there's another list <laughs> and there's more and they yeah, missed yeah. all of these acts <laughs> by the time i've got through it everybody's going oh for god's sake <laughs> that's half it an hour done <laughs> It isn't important to go through the names, and I'm yeah. not going to. 
the impression I want is just to people to get this sense that, oh, my God, this is getting silly. Yeah. It's yeah, over. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to head to the comments uh, quickly because we've got a couple of questions just before we sort of move on to a different topic completely. Liam's asking, does overfamiliarity ever risk going full circle to sounding like a script? OK, I'm going to have to twist that one back on you, Liam. It is a script. <coughs> um, there's no question about that. It is a script in just the way that an actor learns a script. But if the actor learns a script well when they deliver it, it doesn't sound like a script. And you have to learn it to the point. You learn it to the point that you forget it. And it's a really, really weird point at which you suddenly realize that you've actually got it. So that when somebody speaks to you, you respond as if it's you, but actually it's the words from the script. Uh, and exactly the same way, somebody makes a comment from the audience, bump. It's, I've heard that one before so many times. I know what the response is. I know how to respond. It sounds like it's an off-the-cuff remark. It's not. It's a, rehearsed, uh, it's a rehearsal, but it's entertaining. And I know it's going to be funny or I know it's going to be dramatic. And Yeah. yeah. One of the Thank things you, that you asked me was about the piece, was about pieces of advice. Have we got today? Or... Yep, yep. I... Yep. A, a friend of mine in the States, uh, Wayne Pickering, he's big into uh, health and uh, the mango man from Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, he's about 75 years old. He looks about 40. Uh, he's got the body of a 35-year-old man, <laughs> absolutely fit as a fiddle. Um, but I said to him one day, I said, Wayne, what's the one thing you've learned in you know, 25 years as a speaker? that you wish you'd known when you started, you said, that's easy. This is show business. <laughs> I thought, wow. Yeah. He said, yeah, you get up on that stage. People didn't come just to hear what you have to say. They've come to be entertained. They've come for an, an entertaining engagement with you. And if you don't entertain them, you won't come back. Yeah. So do you think then, just very quickly before we wrap up, humour, what, what, what's your thoughts on including humour in your talk, even if it's quite serious data V talk? Yeah, I mean, the, the old NSA joke is, you know, should I use humour in my speech? Answer, only if you want to get paid. Uh, <laughs> have to use humour. Um, you can even be, you can even use drama. You can have people crying, but if you leave them crying, they're not going to enjoy that. So you've got to bring them back out of that with a bit of humor, with a bit of interaction. It, it's back same to entertainment. I don't think anybody likes to watch a movie which just starts off going downhill and continues until finally it crushes to a floor. And you think, oh God, please, no. Um, we need some light. In the even in the darkness. So now you, you, you've got to be entertaining. If you're going to be entertaining, you have to allow some humor into that speech. And that's a skill every speaker needs to learn. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. Well, like I said to you in a message I sent before we started, half an hour is not going to be enough. And yeah, uh, true to true to my word, we've uh, we've done over half an hour and we haven't covered half of it. Half, you know, there's I've still got lists of stuff that I wanted to ask you. So you will be back, Ricky. Thank you so much for your time Would today. 
And thank you everybody out there for listening and putting comments. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's so nice to have you all here. And if you are watching the replay, please do comment. And uh, if you have any questions, put them in the comments. And we'll endeavor to get back to you. This will go on to replay on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook almost immediately. And it will go out on audio when I get the time to do it, which hopefully will be in the next week. So I will make sure all the links are there. And Ricky, just before we leave, where can people get in contact with you or what would you like them to do? The, the best thing is to, is to I, one of the weird things, I, I don't know, I changed my name to Ricky Arundel when I changed my gender and discovered I'm the only Ricky Arundel in the world. There is no, <laughs> there is no other. So if you search Ricky Arundel, it's me, you'll find. Um, two, two possibilities. On LinkedIn, you'll find my profile, lots of information there. But I've also got a Linktree account. So um, if you're not familiar with Linktree, um, it's uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Ricky Arundel. Uh, my LinkedIn account again is link uh, is uh, Ricky Arundel. Um, so that's the best two places. Um, my website's down at the moment. Somebody hacked it, ripped out all of the main core files, and I've had to completely start from scratch and rebuild um, it. Lost, lost it all. Um, I don't know why people do this. It's just irritating no. and annoying. But uh, never mind. Uh, I'm working on that. But at the moment, I'm finding that Link that Linktree gives lots and lots of performances. I'll a copy of this podcast will go on to Linktree. Um, so that will be available for people to see, and I'll also post it on Thursday with a link to the uh, to the uh, LinkedIn um, Brilliant. broadcast. So we'll see it there. But uh, that's the best place to find me. Um, you always find me, Ricky Arundel. On just give me a search on Google. I think LinkedIn is one of the first things that comes yeah. up. Yeah, brilliant. Oh well, thank you so much for your time today. It it's been in in insightful and i will take those names off you of those talks you were talking about and put those in in any show notes so that everybody has those as well because i think there was a couple of good ones there so thank you again and i'm going to say goodbye and thank you for listening watching should i say <laughs> <laughs>